Hi, I'm Peter Tragos, host of the Lawyer You Know podcast and YouTube channel. The saying goes, everyone hates lawyers until you need one. Well, I'm here when you need one to answer your questions and give you insight that you didn't know you needed. Along with my partners, Pete Sardis, the professor, who has a finance and business background, and George Tragos, my dad, and the conciliary, a criminal defense giant, we can answer any questions you have. Hi, everybody. Pete Sardis for The Laura. You know we are back talking about the Hulu miniseries, The Dropout. Today, we are talking about episode six entitled Iron Sisters. We're going to go through what's true, what's not, and what's true-ish. But before we do that, as always, if you like the episode, give me a thumbs up. If you're enjoying the series, please subscribe to our channel. And as always, if you have questions or comments about this series, Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos, or the Sunny Balwani trial that we're also covering at the same time, please let me know and we'll make sure we answer those questions for you. All right, let's talk about episode six. It is entitled Iron Sisters, and I'm trying to figure out why they picked Iron Sisters for this particular episode. Uh, for those of you that don't know the real story behind Iron Sisters, it was a empowerment movement for women regarding you know science, technology, engineering, math, and uh, and business that Elizabeth Holmes was, I think, front and center of back in about 2015, give or take. This concept was designed to help you know professional women help other professional women empower them bring girls and women into science technology and math and really help bolster females in that i guess area because there really weren't that many so that's what the real iron sisters is about but why do they call this one iron sisters is it because of erica chung and tyler schultz being together is it because Erica Chung is like the antithesis of uh, Elizabeth Holmes? I'm not sure. So if you have any opinions on why this specific episode is entitled Iron Sisters, please give me a comment below. I'd like to hear your thoughts because this one just wasn't as clear to me. All right, let's talk about the episode generally. We start off by seeing the friendship grow between Erica Chung and Tyler Schultz. And this is very real and I think it's a very good representation um, in the miniseries about what actually happened in real life. Erica Chung came in to be a lab assistant right about the time that Tyler Schultz, who as we all know is Greg Schultz, the former Secretary of State, uh, his grandson, came to Theranos and they basically meet and become friends. There is, you know, the dichotomy between the two. Erica Chung, if you listen to her real story, is someone that grew up, she says, in a, you know, in a mobile home with six or seven other people, obviously very difficult life. And she pulled herself up from her own bootstraps and got into Stanford, got a degree in, you know, in engineering. She's really a star. Tyler Schultz, not to take anything away from his intellect, but at the end of the day, Tyler Schultz gets the job because he's the grandson of Greg Schultz, who happens to be the former Secretary of State, a multi-multi-millionaire who invests in Theranos and whose grandfather, Mr. Schultz and Elizabeth Holmes, seem to be chummy. They have a relationship more akin to, you know, grandfather, granddaughter, even in real life. That's how it was. So Tyler Schultz gets the job through his grandfather. Okay, so one of the things I think is interesting is when they first come together, Tyler Schultz gives um, Erica Chung a piece of tape and says, here, put this uh, over the camera. And she's like, why? Oh, so they can't watch you. All right, do I think this really happened? No. Do I think that the Theranos folks are watching their employees? 
Yes, but the truth of the matter is, I think you all know it if you have a, you know, a smartphone or if you have a camera on your computer, if someone puts a piece of tape over it and it doesn't work, you know what they would do? They would come over there and pull the piece of tape off if they in fact wanted to watch and monitor you while you work because we know they have the right to because the opening scene in this particular episode is Erica Chung sitting um, in the front lobby basically filling out her non-disclosure agreement. And the things I think that are really telling about that specific scene is not necessarily how, you know, Elizabeth Holmes walks down the staircase and she's, oh my gosh, is that really her? And she's enamored. No, it's the words that you hear during that scene, which is you can't use the word X or you can't use the word Y. You can't say blood. You can't say test. You can't say sample outside of Theranos or in conjunction with discussions regarding Theranos. And I think that that's a good representation about how in-depth these non-disclosures agreements were, not only for the people working in the lab, but uh, the testimony was Elizabeth Holmes even had the guys cutting the grass outside sign the same non-disclosure agreements. That way, Everybody was covered in the company. Anybody that worked with the company was covered. And even anybody that was an outside vendor or contractor was covered. The purpose being is they didn't want anybody to you know, divulge any information about what was going on at Theranos. Now, are non-disclosure agreements of this magnitude strange? No. The truth of the matter is, especially when you're talking about startups, tech companies, they keep their, their intellectual property very, very close to the vest. And I think that this is very normal in big companies. The question though begs itself here in Theranos uh, instances, did they have the non-disclosure agreements because they didn't want anybody to go out and say, this thing doesn't work. Edison machine can't test anything. They're using outside commercially available equipment to test blood samples. I don't know. I, I think it probably started with good intentions, but you know, as things flowed to the point where they knew they were not having success with the, the concept of the product, then I think at that point, the non-disclosure agreements became angry. If you're following the Sunny Balwani trial, which we're doing as a spinoff to this, uh, you will see that Erica Chung actually testified this week and she was in tears because she actually was escorted out of the building by Sunny Balwani himself. And from her testimony on the stand, she indicates it was a very aggressive time. Similar to in um, the dropout where at some point uh, Erica, you know, tells Tyler about what's going on and what she has seen. And Tyler says, we're going to do a letter, but I'm going to send it. Not you, because he realizes he's Tyler Schultz. Nothing bad's going to happen to him. And Erica Chunk, frankly, and I hate to say it is practically nobody. And he was afraid that she would be fired. And, you know, she would wind up getting the wrath of the company on top of her. And he would be more insulated, which is what happened. Uh, they're pulled into Sonny Balwani's office and he basically belittles them and says, so you two think you know more than we do about how this works. And there's a little bit of a, um, of a teardown for them. But ultimately, in that scene in the show, they don't lose their jobs. In real life, and I'm sure I'm probably spoiling this for the next episode, Erica Chung does lose her job. Uh, she's walked out of the building by Sonny Balwani and apparently during her testimony in trial last week, she said that it was a very aggressive time. He was very angry. He was very mean to her. He was very belligerent. It was a very aggressive uh, exodus from the building. And of course, we all know from the time after she left Theranos, they had, meaning Elizabeth Holmes and the Theranos company had private investigators tailing her. They actually served her with cease and desist orders 
right in front of her car in the evening at her new job. It, it was pretty, um, it was definitely contentious to say the least. Things that you would not expect to see in the normal course of business. So staying with Erica Chung's character, after that a scene where she and Tyler Schultz are pulled in and basically dressed down, we find her working in the Theranos lab on Thanksgiving evening all by herself. Do I think that happened? No. Do I think that they made her work some odd shifts? Probably yes, but we know again from the testimony that this was common, especially during this time frame. There were people working 24 hours a day. So I believe that they were working on Thanksgiving evening. I don't think she was alone. So do I think that she, as she's working alone, she realizes that these test results for a real person are inconclusive, so she calls it in. Yeah, that's probably true. She probably spoke to someone saying, hey, I'm not getting the lab results that are consistent in this particular reading. What should we do? Now, do I think somebody just opened the door, kind of cloak and dagger, walked to the computer, erased the, uh, you know, the outliers that were inconclusive to give a, re a result? No, I think that's probably a little bit of theatrical drama, but I think it makes the point that they really did do these things. They wound up taking real patient's blood samples, and if there were outliers that could not be rectified, they just deleted those outliers from the data. I would guess that it was not Erica Chung that did that. I would guess it was somebody higher up the food chain that was aware of obviously the problems they were having with the technology. But anyway, good representation about what was happening at that particular time. So now, does Erica Chung actually walk around the lab in the dark and pull a sticker off of the Theranos testing machine to reveal that it is a Simmons machine underneath? Again, probably not. But to the credit of the writers, I think it makes the point that what wound up happening in real life is that Theranos' machine, Edison, was not providing results that were accurate, number one. Number two, based on the testimony from the trial, we know that not only was the Edison machine not providing accurate results, it was hard to keep the machine online because every time it would fail, they would have to do diagnostics, they would have to reboot the system, and this apparently took hours to do. So there was no way that they were able to really work the Edison machine at this point in time. So what did they do? They used commercially readily available machines, diluted the blood samples, and gave you results based on what was already available. And is that wrong? Probably not wrong, because I'll tell you, Siemens would have been happy to sell them the technology, to sell them the use of their machinery, because that's what they do. They sell machines to do blood tests. What was wrong is to take that blood test, run it on the Siemens machine, and then tell everybody this is the result from the Edison machine. That's where things went south. But again, a little bit of creative license on behalf of the writers. I don't think they actually were stupid enough just to put a sticker over it and you know nobody would notice. But the concept, in fact, is true. There were commercially available machines at the Theranos facility where blood work was actually run. My guess is what they probably told people was they were validating tests because you really can't hide the Siemens machines. They look so, so different than the little you know box that looks basically like a hard drive uh, that was Edison that was supposed to go inside of the Walgreens stores uh, as opposed to a you know big, what would look like a big copy machine size uh, piece of equipment, which is what the Siemens blood testing machine actually looks like. So let's go on. Sonny Balwani, I want to talk about Sonny Balwani a bit. Um, in this episode, there is a time when they're walking into Elizabeth Holmes' birthday party. And he says, I want everybody to know, I'm going to tell everybody about us. And Elizabeth Holmes, kind of, you know, big eyes, and actually it's Amanda Seyfried's big eyes. 
uh, you know, no, don't do it, you know, not tonight. I don't know what it must have been like for Sonny Balwani, and I'm going to show a little bit of empathy towards him. To be in a relationship with somebody for nearly seven years and to not have anybody outside of, I'm guessing, a very, very small circle of people, uh, a very small trusted group of people, know that you're in a relationship. I can't imagine how difficult that would be to live your entire life in the daytime as you know, you know, professionals and colleagues and then to go home to the same house every night and nobody knew. I don't know, it's just, it must have been very difficult for him just because I think there, there comes a point where you grow that emotional bond that you want everybody to know, hey, this is my significant other, this is my counterpart. And that apparently did not happen. Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani moved in together back in 2005. And if you remember a couple of episodes back, Sonny Balwani actually shows Elizabeth Holmes a Palo Alto house that was for sale for like nine million bucks or whatever it was that they actually wound up buying, living in together and utilizing for kind of company parties and marketing type activities. So, Sonny Balwani starting to get annoyed on the show about the fact that nobody knows that he's in a relationship with Elizabeth Holmes after all of these years. I can understand why this was a problem for Elizabeth Holmes because the disclosure about her personal relationship with Sonny Balwani had not been made. And I believe that that is a material piece of information that you as an investor especially would want to know about the COO of the company. Uh, you'd want to know that, hey, he is X, Y, and Z as a professional. These are the things that he's done. Here's how much money he has loaned the company. Here's how much money he's invested towards equity. Oh, and by the way, he's my boyfriend. I think that's kind of an important part of the information that was left out. And I think that may have been one of the things that uh, caused concern, at least in the eyes of the jury, when they recognize that this whole relationship's going on, that's kind of a secret. So we're starting to see that kind of work itself out. Let's see how the rest of the episodes kind of develop that topic. Let's talk about Mr. Fuse in his lawsuit with the combination of him and the professor from uh, Stanford and John Carreyrou. Let's start with some basics. Did Fuse actually contact John Carreyrou? Yes. And if you ask John Carreyrou, he will tell you it was Fuse that was the catalyst to bringing this story to his attention. Because of the lawsuit, Fuse was basically trying to find a way to get around uh, Elizabeth Holmes. And he, at that point, thought that she was a fraud, so she, he started digging. And but for Fuse contacting Carew, and then John Carew basically developing what he would need as a journalist to be able to break this story, and then Fuse looking at it going, okay, we need this, we need this, we need that. This really happened. Did people from Theranos actually open up to Fuse? Yes, they did. Now, you'll see a part of the story, again, a little bit of cloak and dagger, I believe, you know, did it happen at night in a parking lot and, you know, the lab director, whose name is Mark in the show, gets in the car and says, I won't go on the record. You know, I've got a non-disclosure. I can't violate it. But there are some stuff going on here. Do I think that happened in that way? No. Do I think it happened? Absolutely. Mark's playing a character whose real name was Adam Rosendorf. Adam Rosendorf was the lab director at Theranos, and he was also one of the big witnesses in the Elizabeth Holmes trial who came in and said, look, nothing worked. She knew nothing worked. We were trying to keep the thing you know, together, but at the end of the day, all the promises that she was making 
we knew were out. And again, probably gonna be a spoiler for you. So he winds up walking out in real life at the time that he recognizes that they're actually testing live human being patient's blood and sending results that he knows are not accurate. He winds up walking out of the company. So again, the way it happened, true-ish, but ultimately the concept is sound. So with that, we're probably gonna wind up seeing in the next episode how uh, Erica Chung and Tyler Schultz's exodus from Theranos happens. And if you remember, Tyler Schultz was very vocal. He actually went to his grandfather and said, hey, granddad, this is a fraud. Of course, uh, Tyler Schultz's grandfather, George Schultz, didn't believe him. And if you listen to the family story after the fact, it sounds like there was a rift between grandfather and grandson about this topic. And I don't know if it's a rift because of the, the humongous loss of money or if it's a rift because the grandfather saw the grandson, meaning Tyler as just He's young, you don't know, stop saying stupid things, everything is fine, I'm George Schultz. I've brokered peace in throughout the world. I know what I'm doing here. Uh, but there was some tension between them and Tyler Schultz was very public and, and as you recall in the news, he was the one that actually went out there and said, hey, this doesn't work. On the opposite side, Erica Chung was not very public about it, but she was the, you know, she was the whistleblower. Ultimately, she's the one that went to court, got up on the stand and testified, produced documents, produced evidence for the prosecution regarding what was going on at Theranos at this point in time. So I'm guessing you're gonna see the very public side of Tyler Schultz out there in the media and the very private but important role that Erica Chung played by providing evidence to not only John Carreyrou, but also the prosecutors in this case in the upcoming episode. So with that, again, if you've enjoyed the episode, give me a thumbs up. If you've liked the series, please subscribe. And as always, leave me questions, comments below, especially your opinion this time uh, about the title of this episode. Why do you think they came up with Iron Sisters? Again, if you're interested in the Sunny Ball Wannie trial, we are contemporaneously covering that. So check those videos and we'll see you again. Thanks for watching this episode of The Lawyer You Know. If you like this content, please share it with your friends. Make sure you subscribe to our page and like our videos. If you want some interaction, get in the comments and we'll be sure to get back to you. If you want to know any more information about our firm or this page, you can find out in the description or visit tragoslaw.com. We post multiple times throughout the week, so make sure you hit that bell so you can get the notification and not miss out on the next episode.